No, I mean, I think that rowing experienced a huge boom, I'd say, in sort of the early 2000s. Uh, when schools were really pressing hard to sort of meet Title IX mm -hmm. uh, sort of uh, qualifications. So you had a lot of opportunities for young girls to actually, you know, move, move into the sport. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it was just, I happened to be lucky. I grew up in Washington, D.C. And oddly enough, I was at the only school at the time, public or private, that had a rowing program. Mm -hmm. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe bomb today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today was a winner of the Henley Diamond Skulls in, back in 2000. He's a four-time U.S. national team member and competed in the Olympics in 2004 as a rower. Today, he still is an athlete and software engineer at a company called Hydro. That's Hydro with a W on the end. Welcome to the show, Akil Abdullah. Thank you for having me, Jesse. And thank you for mentioning that there is a W at the end of Hydro. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's phonetic sounding. So you're like, Hydro, okay, I got it. But you, because it's, um, I don't know if it's technically a double entendre, but you know, it's a, a amalgamation of words, then it's important to make sure the W's on the end. So I, I bolded that. So I didn't, didn't miss that part. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. So before we got going, you, you told me uh, you're coming back from skiing. You're already starting the week off weekend off, right? Um, just doing research on you kind of looking at like a couple short interviews I'd seen with you. I was like, I need to hang out with this guy. You just seem like a fun guy to hang out with. And you proved it right off the bat and be like, oh, we just got back from skiing, like just my normal day. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's one of those things. This is the, you know, it's just a crazy, this has been a crazy year. And it's just was, you know, it's last minute decision, but just had to take the family, get them on the slopes. You know, my two, my son, who's almost three, uh he just loves it he just wants to go fast so mm -hmm. we'll see we'll see how he does tomorrow <laughs> you think he's gonna be sore tired not gonna want to do anything oh no he's gonna he's gonna he follows his big, big sister everywhere so he's mm -hmm. gonna be like i'm i'm all about this um he's gonna be ready to go okay hopefully he'll sleep tonight though he didn't sleep last night well, he kept coming upstairs he kept coming upstairs to say to my wife and i I love you, mom. I love you, dad. And we're like, thanks, buddy, but it's time to go to sleep. And, <laughs> you know, his sister was out cold. I, you know, I think after a day um, of skiing, he, he'd be pooped out. But I guess, I, I, you know, I haven't been around a lot of three-year-old energy, so maybe I'm just delusional. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can tell me about all that. <laughs> nah, he's good. I, I, I think we'll be in good shape tonight. So, good stuff. So, so how does that work? I, I don't know anything about skiing so let's let's start there um the the like we have a i'll say we have a skiing snowboarding venue here 
but I'm in Kansas City, so it's not the closest. Obviously, we've got Colorado nine hours away. Uh, well, Denver nine hours away, but you know, there's nothing terribly ski around here. So I've never gone. How's that work with kids? Like, are you mm. taking him on like little slopes? Or are you like strapping him on you with a baby Bjorn and going down big slopes? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. So basically, you know, um, I, I, I'm getting my workout in as well mm-hmm. uh, because we are basically just on the, on the, on the, on the bunny slopes right now. And I have uh, a leash or a harness, and he's attached to it so he doesn't get away from me. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we just we just like go down, and he falls back, and I push him forward, and he falls back, and I push him forward, and then he falls forward and gets going faster, and then I have to pull him back. <laughs> so you know, I I told my wife I said like this is just paying the dues now, so that you know by the time he's five six you know, we'll be able to actually go skiing as a family and, and have some fun. So it's all just putting in the work right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't have any kids, at least at the moment. It, it seems like that kind of is the philosophy in general, right? Put in the work now and it's going to pay off later. It's, it's kind of crazy. And I think I, I was trying to think about sort of my athletic career um, and I know that one of the things my dad used to always make me walk like everywhere. Like he would not pick me up mm-hmm. and I do the same with my kids. And sometimes my wife is just like, she'll go pick up the kids yeah. when we're on like hikes and stuff. But I think that that's it. Just like, you know, but now I just, I love to walk, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that that is that, that, that was part of the origin of it. So yeah. yeah. Start them early. Yeah. Well, it seems like I saw, if you don't mind me mentioning, uh, if you do, we can move on. But I saw, uh, I think you're, I think you're <laughs> also, <okay. laughs> all right, moving on. Just kidding, just kidding, go on. No, no uh, I, th- I saw, uh, I think on your, your Instagram that your little girl's in martial arts. Oh my goodness, yes. So I, I have a martial arts background, so I, I, okay. I identified with that. I started when I was in first grade. I can't think of what age that would be, like six, somewhere around yeah. there and yeah. went through the end of high school before, you know, collegiate yeah. a- athletics took over. I couldn't do it anymore, yeah. but it's, it's a journey, man. So I, I was, I just want to encourage you basically after I saw that, I was like, there, there's something, at least for me, there's something very powerful about it in terms of just being centered just day to day, not even just like while you're doing it, but just, I know I, I kind of feel like I miss something of myself from that time period where there was like, not just a confidence, but like center is the best way. It's like everything's yeah. just a little calmer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it is, it, it's part, I think of the, I'll call it, I won't call it the ritual of sport. I'll call it the ritual of movement. Right. Mm-hmm like where you go through this repetition constantly and then you become proficient at it, right? And then you can go to a place where you start to notice things and the transformation as you go through those movements. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, that's been sort of the beauty of what I've seen about her, not only in confidence in terms of like taking martial arts, but also in terms of her going through the different forms now Mm -hmm. and becoming better at them and just watching her confidence in herself, but also just how it does have that centering effect for her. Mm-hmm. 
And she's crazy. I mean, I shouldn't say that she's crazy. She has a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, it's good though. You know, that's, it's, it's such a great venue, I think, because it's, it, it combines so many, like it's, it's anaerobic. It can be aerobic depending yes. on what you're doing. There's all the, the mindfulness required. I remember, so I, I grew up with a, uh, Russian instructor. And when I say Russian instructor, I mean, straight from Russia, like he got yeah. out of Russia because they like, I don't, I can't remember his entire story, but he spent time in like a Russian prison for being a dissident and yeah, came here and he practiced martial arts while he was in prison. And um, he was a competitive bodybuilder. So big guy. And I just remember him always, I'll say yelling, but you know, in an encouraging way, yelling, like yeah. focus, focus, focus. Cause it was like, you know, just saw I could do better but I needed that attention to zoom in. Yep. And uh, just that whole thing, you know, I, it, I don't know that I have a question for you. Like I said, it's just a matter of, I saw it and I was excited for you and excited for yeah. her to go through that journey um, because I've, I've been through it. So, and I enjoyed it. So. Well, you know, that, that, that moment in particular that you saw was when she was uh, graduating from the Dragons, which is where she started, mm -hmm. to the juniors. And she's been really excited about becoming a junior, getting her half purple belt. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole thing has been, especially through this year, she's just, you know, uh, it's been, you know, one of those things we, we felt like we had to keep going for her just to maintain that consistency. And mm -hmm. so... Yeah, man, that was that was that was pretty cool for her. She was pretty excited about that. Yeah. So I'll jump a little bit onto you. Um, I, this is one thing that I, you're the third rower I've talked to, but the first Olympic rower, so you can mm -hmm. tell that place. I, I always have to ask because I'm a kid who grew up in the suburbs in the Midwest, so I get like skiing. I'm like, how the heck do you even get into rowing? Like. What, yeah. Where is there an avenue that it's like, that I'm going to get into rowing. The only person I personally know that got into rowing was never a rower, but just like she had a tall build. She was, mm -hmm. I think she played volleyball and yeah. then was recruited into college to put, to row. Yeah. And that is my only personal touchstone with rowing at all. So how do you, how do you even get started? Does it doesn't right. matter of you got to live near a coast, like <clears throat> What culture am I missing out on? No, I mean, I think that rowing experienced a huge boom, I'd say, in sort of the early 2000s uh, when schools were really pressing hard to sort of meet Title IX mm -hmm. uh, sort of uh, qualifications. So you had a lot of opportunities for young girls to actually, you know, move, move into the sport. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it was just, I happen to be lucky. I grew up in Washington, D.C. And oddly enough, I was at the only school at the time, public or private, that had a rowing program. Mm -hmm. And so I had a bunch of friends who were like, who had been asking me to row pretty much throughout high school. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Rowing, that's not a real sport. Get out of here. Come on. And, uh, and uh, finally, my senior year, I played football. Uh, I decided to row in the spring instead of run track. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a lot harder than I, than I thought. Mm -hmm. um, and within the course of a couple of months, I was, I was, I was hooked. 
And uh, I got lucky enough to be offered a scholarship to row at George Washington University. Uh, and so that's sort of how, how it started. Um, I think you look around now and you see a lot more programs, um, rowing programs for, for juniors um, and, uh, and, and a lot more scholastic programs in high schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that a part of that is due to the fact that there are opportunities for college scholarships, uh, uh, you know, uh, definitely on the women's side um, that, that have increased. So, um, so yeah, so, I mean, I think that it's out there, but if you live in, you know, the middle of Idaho, um, <laughs> probably not <laughs> a rowing program around, but you know, you can always just get a single. And yeah. You know, there is probably a rowing program around town here. You know, I, yeah, I think part of it is just, you know, I had an affinity for running, so that's kind of where mm. I, you know, I played. I played soccer and softball when I was young, and yeah. as I mentioned, did did karate. But, um, you know, I probably already gone the single route because I played soccer, played softball, did those each two seasons, and and of the four combined seasons I played, my teams won zero games. And I think at some point I said, "I'm done with this. I'm going to do my own thing. I'll right. be in charge." Because you know, I was competitive, still yeah. am. And yeah. I was like, I want, you know, I want to win. I don't want to lose every single game we play. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so that, I think that probably led me down that, that path. But, um, you know, I grew up like middle-class or middle-class suburb. Yeah. I, I don't know. I have this perception of rowing as like a high-class sport, you know, yes. and triathlon is kind of that way too, because triathlon is darn expensive. Yep. Doesn't I mean you can get into it for maybe five hundred bucks, but if you really get into it, you're thousands quick. Yeah. And you know, so I don't I don't know how much uh, a boat costs, but it yeah. doesn't seem like the average thing that everybody no. would have. So. Yeah. So in terms of access, you know, uh, that's that is something that is really near and dear to my heart right now. Uh, I participate on the National Rowing Foundation. I'm a board member. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of A Most Beautiful Thing. It's a, it's a movie that's out. It's about the first uh, all-Black high school rowing team okay. uh, out of Chicago, west side of Chicago in the 90s. Um, and that, uh, you know, so like I'm really working to make sure that we can get that access uh, mm-hmm. of the sport. Because as you said, like boats are not cheap. Yeah. However, if you are, if there is a school program around, if there is a community program around, then you can show up, and there's a pretty good chance that you'll be able to to, to get into a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not the limiting factor. But as you said, there's other barriers like you know cultural and things like that. You know, um, and, you know, like I don't know uh, the sport of triathlon all that well. One of one of uh, one of uh, our athletes at Hydro. Uh, Nick Karwaski used to be uh, a, a triathlete mm-hmm. or probably maybe still does them, but, you know, but I, I don't know what the, the demographics of, 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 you know, triathlete, you know, the triathlon um, athletes are like, but, you know, I can tell you in growing that at least in the United States, it's, it's, it's predominantly white. So yeah, there no, is it, that percent. It's ahead. definitely yeah. similar. Um, I think like if, when USA triathlon, um, they'll publish their stats. Like if you want to look in 
the magazine to try to get advertising or whatever, they'll say, you know, average household incomes, like a little over a hundred thousand dollars, you know, yeah. and I went to these elite development races. There's only a handful. It's like three or four of them every year. They're draft legal um, and follow yeah. the same format as the Olympic format, but for amateurs, right? Um, which can be dangerous if you're just doing anybody, which is why there's only a few of them and it's invitation only. Yeah. But they'd have junior races there and it's, it's mostly, you know, young white kids with yeah. parents that can afford to fly them to Florida with bikes. And yeah, you know, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of cost cost barrier there where, you know, even just like middle-class doing well family may not be able to afford yeah. that. So it, that, that, you know, limits a lot of people from participating. And even if they can participate, like I said, you could participate on a local level, but then progressing up gets difficult quickly. Yeah. yeah. But the thing that I tell people that, you know, about running, because we, th we think of like Ivy Leagues and Oxford mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and Cambridge and all of that. I, I, I say the guys that rode on the team with me, there were guys from Temple, mm -hmm. uh, SDSU, uh, Ohio, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, you know, uh, there were guys from all over, um, yeah. that, that, that had made the Oregon, you know, like, yeah. you know, so there, 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 it, while it, while it does have this perception, you know, I think that if you look at, you know, at least the years that I was competing, there were guys with, you know, from all over, mm -hmm. you know, um, at least, you know, uh, at least in terms of the schools that they went to. Right. Right. Well, I, I want to back up a little bit because, sure. you know, you had talked about you played football and then, yeah. you know, most football athletes in, in high school, at least that I know are encouraged to do track, as you mentioned, and you decide not to do track. It, what, what mindset shift, what, what changed your mind there? Because you went from, yeah, no, to I'm going to go out and then, yeah. you know, things progress. So, like, I mean, what's the point of inflection? I wanted to party, but I wanted <laughs> to stay in shape. Okay. <laughs> like it's my last year of high school. Yeah. I was, I was going to play football in college. You know, my dad played football. He wanted me to play football. Um, I liked football, but like, I didn't want to be like, I didn't see myself like being a football player. My dream wasn't to go to the NFL. Like yeah. that wasn't like, you know, like I enjoyed the, 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 my team. I enjoyed the guys I play with. I enjoyed uh, just sports in general. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, you know, I knew that, I knew that crew was tough, but I didn't know how tough. And so I was like, I'm going to do this, 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 this spring, going to stay in shape, you know, I'll still run, you know, but I'm, you know, and, and so, um, and so I was going, this is the sort of the story. Uh, you can ask my mother if it's how truthful it is, but I was <laughs> I'll basically, get her on next time. <laughs> I was basically walking down the stairs to go to beach week. And I hadn't decided whether or not I was going to play football or whether I was going to row in college, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and, um, and she said, she was standing at the bottom of the stairs and she said, you're not leaving the house until you just tell me what you're doing for school next year. And uh, I didn't want her to go outside because I knew that there was a trunk full of beer in the back of <laughs> the car. So I didn't want her walking out with the bags. So I had already made the decision. I just needed that forcing function to say mm -hmm. like, I'm gonna row. And it, it really was 
I, I tell people there was probably like three months of rowing in, in high school when um, I went from sort of just where I started to get it, mm-hmm. where I was like out on the water and like, it was just, it was a meditative type of thing. We were mm-hmm. talking about earlier uh, about how you get into that zone, that yeah. zen, how you can focus. And, you know, when you have eight, you know, boys in this case, uh, <clears throat> moving almost together with me being the odd man out, um, I got thrown in with the with the varsity team and the JV team uh, because I I had the strength to do mm-hmm. it, and so they were like, "We got to get him up to speed and get rowing well so that he can compete," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, and so yeah, and so that's sort of the 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 journey that I took um, was one where I enjoyed I enjoyed football, but. I didn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I saw it more of a vehicle for getting education than Mm -hmm. I did as like, I'm going to go to the NFL. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so that's, that's sort of the the transformation took place. It's like, oh, I can still get a scholarship and not get hit. I'm in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Such a high rate of injury. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, we hold up. Uh, I I feel like I talk about this. You know, I've mentioned this previously with other guests, but you know, Kansas City is now doing pretty decent in the yeah. NFL. <laughs> Football teams doing finally, right. finally. Um, but you know, when people around here, they still get like pains. Like if if things start going wrong, they're like, "Oh, it's the old Chiefs again." But yeah, yeah. I'm like, man, it's part of it is. Part of the whole season, and this showed up, I think, hugely in in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it is it's a war of attrition. It, if you lose mm-hmm. your guys, you what are you gonna yeah. do? You know, yeah. so like injuries play such a huge part, and I, I don't think average Joe thinks so much about how easy it is to get injured. Even though those yeah. guys are enormous, yeah. it's like, you know, I mean, Mahomes himself has knee spun around yeah. and foot yeah. messed up ankle like all those little stuff so i, I don't fault you in the least <laughs> saying, <laughs> i don't want to get hit anymore <laughs> i'm gonna go row and not and you know and then and then be able to get up and walk in the morning instead of right. just wanting to lay in bed and not go to class <clears throat> yeah so it, walk me through the timeline from from college to trying to make the olympic team like yeah where are we years wise um is there overlap i think i kind of missed a little bit on the timeline there so so basically uh i i finished up at gw around 96 and then um i um i went to i actually went to the olympic trials in 96 and came in fourth in the Mm -hmm. single um, I started rowing. And so this is sort of the tale that uh, this is like, you know, I, after my freshman year, I went to sort of a rowing development camp uh, and it was coached by uh, Tony Johnson. He was the coach at Georgetown at the time. And uh, he told me, he said, I got a lot of good guys coming down from Dartmouth and Yale and, 
and, and so on. In Georgetown, they're going to be here. So why don't you try sculling? So in rowing, there is sweep with one oar, and that's what you predominantly see mm -hmm. in college and in the movies. And then there's sculling with two oars. And so that's sort of the route that he, he sort of guided me into. And I think that that was actually really good for me because it was something that I could do by myself. It was something that I could start to, much like yourself, I could get better at uh, and I could do. And so by the time I was uh, graduating from, from uh, GW, I, uh, I had become pretty proficient. Now, that being said, I did flip in my first race. <laughs> I was rowing my coach's boat um, at the coach at GW at the time was John Devlin. Mm -hmm. I was rowing his boat and it was probably, it was older than I was. And, um, and I took maybe four strokes in my first race and the oar lock broke, broke off and I flipped into the water. So I always like to tell that story because, you know, um, it's easy to think that like people, take routes and and they then they're good right away you were mm -hmm. talking about attrition and in sports a lot of times it is attrition like there's guys that are better than you and there's guys that are not as good as you and you're putting in your time and you're improving and somebody retires and boom you get your shot you know mm -hmm. and so I think that like the one thing that I love about sports and sort of rowing in particular that I found is that you always have that opportunity to get better, to improve. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, yeah, so basically what happened is uh, after college, it wasn't, you know, there's a couple of paths to making it to the national team. One, in college, you're identified, you get invited to national team camp and you're training at camp. And, you know, that's how it goes. Um, I wasn't quite good enough to, to make it to the camps right mm -hmm. out of college. So I rode at a club. I rode at Potomac Boat Club in Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. And there I was just lucky to be around a bunch of amazing athletes that were really pushing at a high level uh, to, 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 to get better and to actually make it to that next level. And uh, soon enough, I, I did, I, I got a call up to, 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 uh, to to you know to to row at the at the camp in basically in Princeton New Jersey mm -hmm. um, but once again I'll tell a story like it's not it's not easy for about two months while I was trying to make it to that level I lived in Tampa Florida in a two-bedroom motel with with three guys we had two beds we rotated who would sleep in the bed and who would sleep on the floor we had a microwave, so we ate like eggs, tuna fish sandwich, and peanut butter. Mm -hmm. And the name, the owner of the motel's name was Sham. And like clockwork, every week he showed up to get paid, you know? And it's mm -hmm. just one of those things. Uh, I was like just trying to rub two nickels together to try to, you know, scrape and scrounge and make it. And, um, and so when you talk about resources and access to, to the sport, one of the things that I want to make sure of is if there is anyone that has the potential that they have the resources to actually make it so that they don't have to make that decision of, do I have to end my career because I don't have the resources or can I keep going because there is someone there to help me? And so that's sort of what, what to me like is important today um, and sort of like what I can do. But once again, I, 
I jumped ahead. I'm sorry. I'm like no, in the future now. You're fine, man. Uh, now I gotta, and, uh, get my, gotta get my train of thought back. <laughs> yeah. So so we jumped off. Let's say let's say we're in 1997. Um, I made. Uh, I got selected as a spare to go to uh, the world championships in, in Chamonix. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, man, that, sorry, Aix-les-Bains um, in, uh, in France. And, um, and uh, I tell you, I got to see one of my good friends, Jamie Coven, win the world championships in the single skull. And that was like, for me, like a moment where I was like, wow, like this is, this is what I, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can make it, you know? And, um, and so I worked hard. And then uh, in 99, I went to the Pan American Games uh, and I won the silver medal in the single. And, um, and so I was feeling pretty good about myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then 2000 came around. I'd been training in Princeton um, with the national team. Um, and, uh, you know, every, there's all of this talk, oh, Akil's going to go to the Olympics. He's going to be the first black male to ever go to the Olympics. And all of that, that record is playing. And, um, and we get to the trials and it's the best two out of three. And, you know, I made, I won, like I did the time trials, heat, semis, and I'm in the final. I win the first final. And in the second final, I have an asthma attack lose the second final so we've got to go to a third final and um basically i i i lost the third final by 33 hundredths of a second mm -hmm. and i mean you know you're you're a runner you're a triathlete 33 yeah. hundredths yeah that's, that's nothing that's nothing that's a brutal one yeah and um you would you rather be like five seconds or something like something yeah, like that exactly. it wasn't even <laughs> Like it wasn't, I, was, I got beat. That's just how it is. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, 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 I lost it and, um, and I, I was crushed. Um, and people, a lot of people ask me like, how did you come back from that? And I was like, well, I was lucky. I had, it, it, it was the people around me mm -hmm. really. And this is why I, I really like to say you gotta have you gotta have a great support system. You have to have be around people that are you know in your corner and pushing for you. Because uh, the head coach of the national team at the time was, was Mike Tatey, and we're standing on the dock. I'm standing there. Jamie Coven's there. Uh, he knows both myself and Don Smith, who had just beat me. Um, you know, like I was I was ready to go to Australia, but now I wasn't going. And um, he, he, he like looks at me and my parents are standing down at the end of the dock. And he says, Akil, hold your head up. He says, look down the end of that dock. He says, your parents still love you. It's just rowing. And I was like, wow. I was like, just rowing to you. <laughs> I <was> like, this <laughs> is <laughs> But it helped to put things in perspective, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, we love sport and it provides so much for us in the way of opportunity and mm. fraternity and sorority. But, you know, we, we have that, that, that people and relationships are, are what life is about. And that's mm. part of the journey. And so, um, but the same year I went and I won the Henley Royal Regatta. 
um, over in England. And so that sort of put my head right. And I was able to come back and compete for the next four years and eventually go to the Olympics in Athens. Um, so uh, I've, represented, I've represented the US in every sculling boat, the single, the double, and the quad. Um, and so that has been like a, a sort of a really, you know, awesome sort of experience. You know what, what um, always strikes me about, I mean, your story, and, and I think a lot of Olympic stories, uh, I, I think it, it, I wouldn't say for sure, but I would say it probably, if there is a rule, probably more the rule, you, your story is more similar to everybody else's than like, than an easy pathway. But, you know, think about we turn, when we turn the Olympics on and there's all the pageantry of it that goes on and, and you know, it's right on television and, uh, yeah. you know, the Olympic theme plays and the whole the ceremony and all of it elevates it to this place where it's, you know, the pinnacle of sport for all these sports. And it, I think in some ways, like disguises or brushes over the part of the story where you're bunking with a few other guys sleeping on the floor, <laughs> peanut butter, like to get to this moment, it's like, you know, th there's right. all this, there's all this, you know, glory to be had in this single <clears throat> moment, but it's like, I feel like there's a lot of stories about people, even the people that win mm -hmm. at the Olympics, they get gold and then they're like crushed. Like what now? Yeah. Yeah, that, that it's that singular moment, and then the floor falls out. Yeah, especially for those that have to retire. I mean, how yeah. many times did Phelps retire and come back and retire and come? You know, after yeah. after two thousand eight, I think he's done yeah. it twice now. Yeah, it's, it's it. I don't know. Just the the whole thing. It's it is the pinnacle of sport. Yeah. Um, but. I think it's hard for people to wrap their heads around the reality of the day in day out work that it takes. Even if you have a spot at the Olympic training center, like yeah. I've been to the Olympic training center. If you go to yeah. Colorado Springs, you can go yeah. visit. It's, it's not a five-star hotel. No, <laughs> no, no, it's not. And you can easily in a week or a day not have a spot at the Olympic yeah. training center. It's yeah. not like, you know, so there's like, oh, I'm here, but I got to stay here. You know, like, it's not like, oh, I'm here now. Everything's great. It's yeah. like, and it is, know. it is that, you know, you're talking about having, having the right atmosphere. It, it does obviously lend to a lot of the things you need, yeah. you know, food being one of them where you don't food. have to worry about food. They've yeah. got that figured out. They know, you know, what you can eat and yeah. all that figured out. You don't have to worry about where you're going to sleep at least yeah. as long as you're there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. all that support. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Again, well, not a whole lot of question, just more commentary yeah. on on the situation and, and kind of the the dichotomy of the reality versus what I think is kind of the mass understanding of what the Olympics are. So you raised, uh, I think, something that I think you, you raised. You made a point that I think is worth talking about, and that is sort of the way we as athletes sort of view ourselves, mm -hmm. right? 
we are judged by the clock. We yeah. are judged by judges. We are judged by ourselves. There's so much in our lives that is about judgment. And whether it is comes time for us to retire, we have to, how do we now judge ourselves? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I love about being at Hydro, where I am now, yeah. is that I have been able to expand the way that I think about the world from judgment to curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. So we can say, oh, I fell down, or oh, I didn't work out today, I'm a bad person. Or we can say, oh, I didn't work out today, why is that? Mm -hmm. Let me try to work out five minutes tomorrow or 10 minutes. And as we move from this space of judgment to this space of curiosity, we can be kind to ourselves, right? You know, this is not, we're still holding ourselves accountable, mm -hmm. right, for the things that we have to do, but we can be, we can be kinder to ourselves. And I think that one of the hard things for me as I made the transition from being an athlete, you know, a, a, an Olympic athlete to being a workaday Johnny, you know, was I still had that competitive nature and I still, and I still do, but mm -hmm. I had that judgment that really, you know, was wrapped up in my worth, mm -hmm. you know, of, of who I was and how I moved forward. And I've seen a lot of athletes who, like once they retire, they don't know what to do with themselves. And mm -hmm. I think that I was really lucky and that our coach was said, I want you guys to have a job because if I have to cut you, I don't want to be, you know, I want you to be able to go on, right? And that's a powerful thing for, for a coach to say because there's a recognition that like you you have to be you that 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 there's a whole athlete there that there's a whole human being there right mm -hmm. not just an athlete right you know and maybe in not all sports that works but at least in i think a large number of amateur sports that mm -hmm. that that having something else there is powerful both for the longevity of the athlete but also for the the emotional and like psychological stability of the athlete. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, you touch on this. It's like, where do we draw our self worth from? You know, is it's, it's, and I, I've, I've been here. I, you know, I still am here in in some aspects. It's like, I'm, you know, I think I even talked about this in in my last uh, recording with Eric Bell former pro triathlete you know we're we're only good as our la as our last time yeah you know and if if that happened yesterday that was yesterday that's not today it doesn't <laughs> matter anymore yeah so it's like you your self-worth gets wrapped up in that because it's such a big you know part of who you are so i mean yeah. that that kind of begs the question how, how do you how did you move on mm -hmm. and you know you you find yourself now at hydro but before that, you're a software engineer for several yeah. different companies. Yep. How, how do you make the transition? And then I think before we got going, you're talking about the CEO of Hydro saying basically they, they made the company so you could you could help run it. <laughs> no, I, I, I think so. Like I was I was lucky in that when I decided to stop rowing, there were rowers 
that were there to say, okay, what do you want to do? Like, you know, like I could, I could have transitioned into finance or I could have transit, you know, and I could have transitioned into, uh, into uh, software engineering, you know? And so I, I had the, I had the, uh, the, you know, the gift, if you will, or the luck of, of people who understood sport and understood, you know, me, maybe even a little bit better than, than I understood myself to help me make that transition, you know, because it is hard to be so good at something and then go into a place where you're not quite sure mm-hmm. how good you are. And you, and like, that is, that's, that's a hard thing to do. And so um, I got lucky to work you know, at a company, Interactive Supercomputing, where the CEO was, you know, this guy, Pete Peterson, he was just like, uh, he was a, a hard ass, you know, hopefully you don't have to bleep that out. No, no, but, no, no. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. but he, he demanded accountability, but he also understood how to build a team, right? And so I think that as we transition we have to be in places where people or you have management that understands how to build a team. Mm-hmm. And that is for me, I think been where I've been lucky, lucky is that wherever I've been since, you know, putting, hanging down, putting down my oars, mm-hmm. I've had people who knew how to build a team as, you know, leading, leading the companies that I worked at. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that was great because they understand that not everybody has the same talent and that 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 and maximizing the talent that you do have so that you can shine so that everyone can shine. And I think that, you know, for for me, like that's what I love. Like there's so much about, you know, where I work now and, and how how, you know, grateful for I am to have the opportunity to do what I do. Um, at Hydro, um, but we have a great team and we, I, and we have great leadership, I think. And so, um, and everybody gets to shine, you know, and everyone is, is um, you know, made to feel like that they're valuable. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and, that's, and I think that that's, that's part of it coming from athletics, right? Because sometimes you have coaches who don't make you feel valuable. Right. And you get, and you internalize that, right? And so you have to get out of this thing of like, you know, you have to get out of that psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah. So we got that's a, that's a whole whole thing there. But you know, I don't want to get, yeah. I don't no, no. bring it bring it down. But you know, no, no you're right. No. You're an athlete. You you can. I'm sure you've had coaches who were just, you know, I've had a variety of coaches with different you know, different styles and thoughts and just expectations and lack of expectations. And I think, you know, and I'm a, I wouldn't call myself a CEO because I have a very small team. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I I think about it just, you know, I was team captain of pretty much every team I was on from, you know, high school through college and think about being a leader and what, what does that mean? And, And I think that's, a couple things is like you mentioned, recognizing what people are good at and 
letting them know that you know that they're good at it as well as giving them the opportunity to shine yeah and some free reign to do it yeah you know like like when i work with people i hire um freelancers to help me from time to time if i need coding done or if i need artwork done i find somebody who like like i'll speak to the artist point there's a there's an artist I, i love working with um for some of these products i make and i say to her like i've got kind of an art art background so i can kind of sketch some things and i just say this is my idea like you go do it i don't say hey that needs to be red and this needs the blue i just say i love your stuff like just just show me what you got and and very rarely do i have to do anything with like oh let's revise all this it's like no like i love what she does let her do her thing and i think that's part of to me being part of a great leader and building a team is giving people the breathing room, not micromanaging and like yeah. you hired them to do the job, let them do their job. Yeah. 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 So. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And so, you know, it is, it's kind of crazy sort of going back to, to, to what you said about how, you know, I have a job that was like basically designed for me now. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I came to Hydro, um, Bruce and, and, and Matt Lair, um, our head of, head of experience, they, we went and had lunch and they talked to me and we were about to have our second child. And I really wasn't up for the risk. Um, and I also didn't get it because I had this idea of what a rowing machine was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be this thing. It had little statistics on it and it hurt and it was painful and nobody really liked it, but they did it anyway. <laughs> you know, that was my idea of what rowing was, you yeah. know? Um, uh, but, you know, um, having been here, uh, I, I realized that this sport, it, it, it can be a beautiful experience, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that, that we can create a platform that is that that gives people uh, something to feel good about and helps connect them uh, with other people, and that to me has been one of the most amazing things about this past year. I mean, there's a there's a lot that's been sad about this past year. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, um, but the connection, the ways that people have found to connect, mm-hmm. have been to me pretty amazing. Um, I feel like I talk to people more, even though it's virtually mm-hmm. now than I did before. Um, and so being part of a company that is engaged in connected fitness, mm-hmm. uh, thinking of ways that we can, we can help people uh, along their fitness journey, as well as, you know, come together uh, and make new friends, you know, has been pretty awesome. But to be able to get out in front of the camera, row, uh, and then, you know, come back home, you know, shower up, and then put on my nerd hat and sit down and write some code, uh, that's, that, that really feeds my soul. So, yeah. yeah. I was like, it seems like it's just going to be a lot of points of joy. You know, I've got an upcoming interview with, um, Gosh, I just forget his name. He wrote this book called The Happiness Handbook for High Achievers. 
Mm. And um, here here at the end of the month, he sent to me and it's like, I'm just, I'm just getting started with it, get ready for this interview. And it's like, that, that is the point, right? You know, yeah. we, we want to be happy. Like people don't think I want to be rich or what it's like, okay, th- those are ancillary things. Like you think yeah. being rich will make you happy. Like the happiness, right. that, right, that right. joy uh, is what you're after. So it seems like you're in a good place to have lots of joy from just day to day. Yeah. Uh, it, and it's crazy too, um, you know. We got a, we got our hydro back in March, and my wife was like, a, she's a highly decorated swimmer, mm-hmm. collegiate swimmer, and um, and she used to do yoga and all of this stuff before we had kids, and you know, she wasn't really working out as much, you know, as she would like. You know, mm-hmm. that was that fitness was something that was missing from her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and fast forward a year and you know we got us back in march she's like connected with a group of women uh that 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 use the hydro they have sort of their own you know they are pushing each other coming up with their own fitness programs Mm -hmm. you know like i i am constantly amazed at how people have found ways to to sort of connect not only on our platform but on other platforms, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it to me that is is something the, the bit of joy that I've actually found in this year. Um, yeah. Given like you know the hardships that that so many have had to face. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things we can take away from kind of a year in isolation is that it, it brings into sharp relief how needed some kind of social interaction is mm. meaningful social interaction i even i saw an article the other day about like the value of casual friendships mm-hmm. you know where it's like there are a lot of people and i have a, a good friend i met years ago um when i traveled to canada and we kind of keep in touch it his complaint a lot of times to me is like he kind of moves around and he's like oh it's so hard to make like deep friendships it's like, yeah. well, it is, but like, there's also value in just like having a buddy you can see every once in a while. Like, yeah. You don't have to be like, like soulmates with a best buddy all, all the time, you know, just like there, there's value in just talking to somebody. I get a lot of value just being able to hang out with people like you on Fridays yeah. and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hear your story, you know? And so I think that's part of what has probably driven people to platforms like hydro where it's like, yeah. all right, I know I need to work out. I don't want to go to the gym. I'm not comfortable, whatever. And then I also need to connect. I mean, it's just like, sounds like hydro's, you know, building steam Peloton obviously has picked up a lot of steam. Yeah. Um, all kind of similar idea, like let's be connected, but on your own time at the same time. So yeah, I think that's, one probably good thing we can look at and just as long as we remember we do need this and it is part of our own health not yeah. just physical but mental health like we yeah. need to connect yeah it's such an important thing but, so yeah yeah I, your your comment about casual friendships just had me think about the fact that there are a group of people that i used to ride the train mm-hmm. into and commute with yeah that i haven't seen in over 
over a year, some yeah. of whom I haven't, you know, seen in over a year. And that's crazy. Yeah. Like I used to see these people every day. They were in my yeah. life, you know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's sort of thinking about the nature of 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 you know, like you said, like you said, you know, like I knew a lot about them. I knew like people's kids thing, you know, about this thing and that thing. Mm -hmm. And we didn't really hang out other than the train. You know, maybe yeah. we got together once in a while, but you know, but like those, I haven't seen those people in so long. Mm -hmm. So maybe I need to do like a commuter, commuter, commuter party <laughs> or something like that when we're when things are back to whatever the new normal is. You know. Yeah, we'll see yeah. how this year develops. Yeah. Um, yeah. Akil, as we're as we're winding down, I think you are uh, a triumphant story of of finishing this question. If you listen, I, I don't know if you got to the whole episode that you had talked about listening to yeah. Steve, but um, this year, I'm asking everybody, how do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal? And it seems like mm -hmm. you're you're uniquely qualified in some ways to to answer that. Yeah, yeah. I think that what I have, you know, sort of we spoke about it a little bit. Yeah, um, I have moved away from from judgment. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe in curiosity and accountability, right? Like you move toward a goal um, and if you fail, you can ask a whole lot of questions about why you fail. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're willing to, and you know, I, it, in some ways it's kind of funny because this is sort of like the nature of my mind from the analytic, you know, analytical side is that mm -hmm. give me data and let me process that data and let me see if I can do it again and make change this and change that. And so I think that the way, one of the ways that we can stay motivated uh, after a failure uh, is to one, uh, have the people in your corner uh, that will help to nurture your spirit. Mm -hmm. But the other is to be curious as to uh, how the things happen that happen. You know, sometimes people are just better than you. If yeah. you're like a race, that's yeah. just... That's why you. That's why you lost. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, other times there are choices you could have made that were different, mm -hmm. and that's why you didn't achieve your goal. Um, but if you don't ask those questions, and if you give up because of that, then to me that's a that's a bigger loss. It's a very solid answer. I appreciate it. Um, Akil, where can people find you? See what you're up to. Yes. You can find me on the IG, the Instagram at Akil underscore Hydro. Um, Again, it's Hydro with a W. <laughs> yeah, with a Hydro with a W. And that's A-Q-U-I-L um, underscore Hydro. Um, yeah, and you can see pictures of my daughter kicking uh, the bag, <laughs> Kung Fu, um, me zooming down the hill, surfing, rowing uh the whole shebang sounds good i appreciate you taking time to talk to me today oh it's been a pleasure man pleasure's been mine good stuff take care all right